Hi, I'm Jim Corcus, Disney historian, and I'm listening to Stories of the Magic. You should always listen to Stories of the Magic because this will enhance your Disney experience and make you a much happier person rather than a grumpy. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 56 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at storiesofthemagic.com audible. There's over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including my own book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. In this episode, we conclude my three-part interview with author and Disney historian Jim Corcus. In our previous two sections, we talked about how he first got interested in and then interested in working for the Walt Disney Company, how he started working for Disney, including why he had to move to Orlando, what he loved about what he did, why he wouldn't want to work at the Walt Disney Archives, how he came up with the idea of starting to write his first book, what each of his books is about, including a little tease about a couple more books he has coming soon, whether Walt Disney was anti-Semitic or anti-Catholic and how we know, Walt's early experience with church and religion, and more. Now in this episode, we pick up right where we left off. A lot of this episode will be talking about Walt Disney, his faith, and how it was expressed in his animation and in Disneyland. This is a subject that doesn't get covered much, but I think it's both interesting and important whether you agree with Walt or not. As we discussed this subject, we're not trying to convert anyone or anything like that. We're just sharing information, and then you can do with it as you choose. So this time, Jim, with some tangents, talks about Walt Disney's contribution to charities, including a couple of great specific stories, one about a boy with terminal cancer, and one about kids from a Catholic orphanage visiting Disneyland. His philosophy that good will always overcome evil, including one of my favorite quotes from Alice Davis that I've ever heard. Walt's view of prayer. Why we assume it was the behavior of their father that turned them off of going to church. Roy O. Disney, Walt's brother's response to the question, is there a God? Who Walt Disney was named after. A terrible biography of Walt Disney that you should not have on your bookshelf, including a couple of ridiculous claims from it. A couple of other Walt Disney myths debunked. Whether the Walt Disney Studios was built to be a hospital. The message of hope, light, and goodness in Fantasia, specifically the last two segments, and how they reflect Walt's faith. Why Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland ends with riders going to hell. It's not in the film. The black and white animated short Hell's Bells. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and why Walt made a couple of the choices he did when adapting the story. Walt's original plan to have a church on Main Street, where it was going to go, what it was going to be like, and why it's not there. Where you can find a representation of Judaism on Disneyland's Main Street USA, and where it likely came from. 
what day it's supposed to be on Walt Disney World's Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom, and whether that's also true at Disneyland. What Jim never gets asked that he wishes people would ask him. What inspires him. His advice to you for following your dreams, and some extra advice if it happens to involve Disney history. And of course, shameless plug time. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're We're huge huge Disneyland Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on Earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort, or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make make it it a a Mickey Mickey day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. But basically, Walt felt that with religion, it's shown by deeds, not words. You show that you're a Christian. You show that respect and gratefulness uh, to God through what you do. Uh, Walt contributed to a huge amount of uh, charity. He contributed to Jewish charities. He contributed to a Jewish orphanage, to a charity for uh, uh, Jews who were in their senior years, all of this. He, he did all of this massive amount of charity work, and he made sure that nobody knew anything about it at mm. all. Because he said that's the whole point of doing charity is you do it. You're not doing it for the recognition of helping out and, and uh, giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the great stories is... Um, there was a, a, a child with cancer, and the parents wrote to Walt, and they said, uh, uh, our son has terminal cancer. Uh, you know, he's looking forward to the opening of Disneyland, but the doctors say he's not, the odds are he's not going to live long enough to, to see that, but we wanted you to know how excited he was about that. Walt had the kid flown into Disneyland. Disneyland was still dirt. Things were still being built. He took him in onto the train, took him around Disneyland, explained everything that was going to be there and, and, and the whole bit, and Walt insisted that there be no photographs and that none of this information ever be released. It, it was not until a, a decade or so more after Walt passed away that the story came out from one of the, the people who, who was there. Wow. Walt would do those things all the time. Uh, here's a great Catholic story. Uh, he was sitting on the um, uh, bench out in front of uh, City Hall on Main Street at Disney. He was sitting um, He was sitting next to Imagineer Rolly Crump, and this nun comes in, and she's holding a rope, and they look, and the rope goes, and it's tied around the waist of a kid, 
and then the rope goes and it's tied around the waist of another kid, and this keeps on going, and then at the end, there's another nun holding a rope. Well, Walt's curious about this, so he jumps up and he goes and he talks to the first nun, and he says, well, what's going on? She says, oh, well, we've heard so much about uh, Disneyland. This is this is an orphanage, a Catholic or- orphanage, and um, we wanted to bring the children here. So we bought um, admission tickets for everybody because you could buy an admission ticket separate and then, you know, it was separate tickets for each of the, the attractions. And she said, and then we bought uh, some tickets so that the kids could could go on uh, the attractions and we would sit there and wait for them. And Walt said, wait just a minute. And he ran out to the ticket kiosk and he came back. He gave them all the money that they had spent, gave them additional tickets, and he said, you know, my favorite um, place to eat is right up uh, Main Street here, right uh, over there on, on the side. It's the Red Wagon Inn. And he says, I phoned them, and he says, lunch is on me, hot dogs, hamburgers, whatever it is you guys want. And then he came back, and he sat next to Roly Crump, and he said, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Walt felt that if you're a Christian, you don't need to go to church every Sunday. You show your Christianity into how you behave, how you act with others. And Walt's philosophy, too, was, you know, good will always overcome evil. There are dark things in the world. There's going to be some speed bumps, all of that, but everybody's going to have a happy ending. Alice Davis, who is uh, the wife of uh, Mark Davis, who is an animator and Imagineer, uh, after I got laid off, in fact, I, I, I was sitting there, and she says, uh, uh, I believe in happy endings. And she looked at me and she says, if you're not happy, it just means it's not the ending yet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's great. And she said, you know, Walt believed that too, that good and light and all of this will always overcome the darkness, always always overcome uh, evil. And um, Walt always felt too that if you prayed, uh, it's not just a supplication to God, asking God for something. It's also a promise. You're promising that you're going to be worthy enough to receive that blessing hmm. and that you're going to use that blessing wisely. And Walt prayed every day, but, but that was his belief, is if you pray to God, you're not just asking God for something. You are having to provide something as well. You have to, you know... Be worthy of that blessing, you know, make good use of that, you know, and, and share that blessing with others. Mm-hmm. So, um, so no, not anti-Semitic, not uh, anti-Catholic, uh, basically pro-God, pro-God, you know, uh, from all of that. You know, just a, a wonderful, magnificent man, but again, a, a faith that was um, a private faith. Didn't go out and proselytize on any of this, and and his brother Roy the same way, you know. And so so that's why we assume that it was the behavior of uh, their father that that sort of turned them away from going to church on a regular basis. But actually, it's interesting. Uh, Roy E. Disney, uh, Walt's nephew and the son of Roy O. Disney, Walt's uh, uh, brother, Bob Thomas, uh, told me this. He he. Uh, uh, Bob said he asked uh, Roy E. Disney, and he says, well, did your dad, you know, believe in God? Because there's there's no, you know, uh, documentation and, and things like this. And Roy E. Disney said, 
Yes, he says, but he, he was quiet about it. If you went up and, and said, uh, you know, is there a God, his response was, well, of course there is. He's there, isn't he? <laughs> a very Midwest down home uh, approach to uh, uh, approach to religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now he was even named after the minister of that church. Yes. Right. Uh, uh, Walter Parr was the minister of uh, St. Paul's Church, and uh, his wife was pregnant at the same time that Elias Disney, Walt's father's. Uh, wife was pregnant, and so being good friends, uh, they said, look, if your son is a boy, name him after me, and if my son is a boy, I'll name him after you. And Walt always said, I always got the best end of the deal. I, I went around being called Walter. That poor kid was called Elias. <laughs> and and so Walt was baptized in uh, St. Paul's Church. He was baptized June 8, 1902, about six months after he was born, because in those days, a lot of times births didn't take place in hospitals. They took place, you know, uh, in homes, and then it took a while to go on with the next. Uh, uh, and and so that caused a problem too, because people say, "Well, Walt's birth certificate. Uh, he didn't have a birth." Well, they didn't always issue a birth certificate in those days, but the baptismal uh, certificate does exist, and it's six months after he was born. So some people, you know, claim that Walt was born earlier or he was adopted or all of that is just foo type stuff. As I said, people love making up uh, stories, but what is sad is so many people then just buy into that. There's a terrible book that you should not have on your bookshelf, and that's um, uh, Walt Disney, The Dark Prince of Hollywood uh, by um, Mark Elliott. Terrible, terrible book. There are factual errors almost on every single line. And so he claims that Walt was born in Spain and it was a housekeeper. The, the mother immigrated to uh, Chicago or whatever, and, and uh, Elias and uh, Flora adopted you know, her child because she had the child out of wedlock. And it's like, none of that makes any sense. First off, the Disney family was so poor they wouldn't have a housekeeper. And why would they hire somebody from Spain? And there's no indication that this woman who supposedly gave birth to Walt even came to America. But, but that was supposedly it would have also have made him five years older than what he actually was. And it's like, that's not the case. You, you know, I, 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 I love telling stories. And, and, and people say, well, this must be so much fun for you to, to go out and, and tell these stories. And, and yes, it is. It, it, it's very exciting. It's very wonderful to go tell the stories. But I spend just as much time trying to debunk these myths, you know. Walt was frozen. No, he was cremated. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was his specific wish. And, and so, yes, we would like to think that he was frozen and he, he could come back anytime. No, he, he, he was cremated. And, and again, it was a, a small family service. So there's, there's only about six people involved. And Walt didn't let people come over and see him, you know, in St. Joseph's Hospital. Again, a Catholic hospital, Catholic nuns there, all of that, right across the street from the Disney studio. I, you know, he didn't let people come over and see. So people had seen Walt, but they didn't see him really sick. And then he was gone. And then they weren't invited to the funeral, and they never saw him lying in state and, and all of that. So it's like, Walt can't be gone. None of this makes sense to me.
No, he 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 was cremated. He he wasn't frozen. And uh, you know, there's there's so many so many other things, and it's just like. Why are you doing this? There are other things to do. Go plant a garden, you know. Go do some <laughs> charity work. Do something. Make yourself useful. Yes, I, I, you know. Th- thank heavens, you know. Uh, National Enquirer and TMZ and all of this weren't around in those days. You know, it, it would have been horrendous. You know, absolutely horrendous. That's for sure. Yeah. Ten years after Walt died, there was the uh, the Hollywood Star, which was a really, really cheap, sleazy uh, newspaper uh, had a headline that Walt was homosexual. And I was like, what? And so I spent decades and more money than I should have spent tracking down, because again, it was a tabloid, so it's a throwaway newspaper, right? Mm -hmm. Just to get a hold of that, you know, to try and see where's that coming from? And you read the article and it's like, Walt was standing outside uh, this place, and a car pulled up, and, and he got in the uh, back, and, and, and we suspect there was a known homosexual in there. Gee. I thought, wait, you're writing this headline based on this? This makes no sense. <laughs> but again, thank heavens, that died. Because again, there was no support for that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There was no evidence anywhere from anything that Walt had ever said or done, ever. Oh, right. Oh, drives me crazy. Drives me yeah. up the wall. <laughs> Good reason. <laughs> it's freedom of speech. People can say anything they absolutely want. But again, I'm glad I took those decades, and I'm glad I took all of that money that should have gone to charity and, and got that just so that I could rest easy that they don't even have a clue. There's no story here. You know, mm-hmm. they don't even name the guy in, 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 in the limousine, you know, and they don't even identify where Walt was standing when this happened. And that was it. That was the one thing. It's it's not like there's anything else. And and yet it got a, a wonderful headline. Oh, of course. <laughs> and, and so you listeners to Randy's podcast, don't push this anywhere else. You know, don't repeat this anywhere else other than, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I run into that, too. I'll say something, and people will mishear something, mm-hmm. and, and then they'll go out and tell the story. And it's like, no, you don't get that. <laughs> you miss this part of the story here. This is what this is. Right. Or I was saying a negative, you know. No, the Walt Disney Studio was not built to be a hospital. And, uh, and it wasn't. It was built to be an animation studio. In fact, it was designed so that there would be northern light, which is the best light for an artist, by the way, to come in to all of the uh, uh, studios where there were going to be artists working. Where that came from is his um, dad was alive, and his dad was worried, oh my gosh, my sons are investing all of this money in this building. What happens if this thing goes belly up? They're drawing funny little cartoons. Nobody's going to want to watch funny cartoons forever. What happened? And so to to calm his dad down, Walt said, well, you see how wide the hallways are here and the, and the doors and all this? It, we could always sell this so it could be a hospital. And once his dad saw that, oh, okay, somebody would be able to buy this building when my sons go bankrupt, <laughs> he was comforted. But then the, the, the story went out. Even Walt heard the story and, and would get frustrated. He says, this was never meant to be a hospital. 
says, this is what I told my dad. But what people heard was, this could be a hospital. (laughs) 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 The, The power of words, the power of language. That's true. You had said that Walt was very private about his faith, and you know, he didn't really push a specific uh, religion or, or, yeah. or religion or anything like that. But he did have the opportunity to at least promote some messages and, and things along that direction through his cartoons and then later through that three-dimensional storytelling environment that he built that we call Disneyland. You know, Walt specifically did not want to uh, emphasize religion either in the live action films or the animated uh, films because uh, again he felt that would exclude people sometimes you know if if you were promoting a a particular you know a belief in god yes but a particular way of getting to that belief in god you know that that's up to uh, individual people but uh when we talk about integrity integrity is doing what you say you are who you are whatever and so I, I think with Christians, the, the faith comes out in everything they're doing, how they're dealing with a, a waitress at a, at a restaurant or, or how they're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, balancing the books or whatever. Your faith generates, you know, choices that you are, you are making. And, and that happens with Walt, too. I think uh, in one of the animated films uh, very clearly is uh, Fantasia. And uh, the finale to Fantasia, you know, you have uh, that huge um, uh, demon that that a lot of people mistake for Satan. He is satanic in a lot of ways, but it was actually based on a Ukrainian myth. And uh, it's a character called uh, Chernobog. Bog actually means God, and Cherna is dark or blackish, okay? And in the Ukrainian myth, He's always in battle with uh, Bielabog, and so that's the white god. Okay. And he and 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 in Ukrainian myth, he is portrayed as this old man with a long white beard in white garments, and and he represents light, and he is in constant battle with the darkness, creating a balance uh, in in the world. Now the animator for Chernobog was uh, Bill Teitler, who was Ukrainian, interestingly enough. And he brought in uh, Bela Lugosi, and Bela Lugosi with the Dracula cape. Bela Lugosi kept his original Dracula cape and had Bela Lugosi model for that character. And so the cape would represent the wings on Chernobog for all of of that um, to happen. And it was Walt who came up with the idea of, well, this represents the darkness, uh, Satan, all of this, we need to have something to overcome this because good always overcomes uh, evil and, you know, pushes away uh, the darkness. And so instead of going with the traditional Ukrainian myth of uh, Bielabog, he came up with the idea of we will have uh, pilgrims uh, singing uh, Ave Maria and, and their face and that light will then de- destroy or, or, well, at least push away, drive away, because evil can never completely be destroyed. Uh, push away, drive away uh, the evil. And so it was Walt, who came, because the original Night on Bald Mountain has none of that, has none of that. Chernobog, you know, 
survives and overpowers. It was Walt who says, we're going to juxtapose that with Ave Maria. And the original sketches were going to have them in this Gothic cathedral, and it was Walt's idea to have them outside in the trees, the entire world, and then just by the shape of the trees and with the light coming up, the dawn coming up, it starts to look like the Gothic archways inside a, a cathedral. And then you have the lights start to grow and grow, and, and then the song, Ave Maria, grows, and that's enough. Your, your faith and the faith in the light and the faith in the goodness is enough to drive away Satan. It's enough to drive away the darkness. It, it, it's interesting that, that when I talk with Diane, when I, when I talk, when I did talk with Diane Disney Miller, she always referred to the character as Satan. Yes, Satan comes up and he has these, you know, people in their hands and, and, and all this. And I think most people think of it that way. But it, it, it's actually a demon in uh, Ukrainian mythology. And, and that's the climax of Fantasia. You know, of all these wonderful stories he could put there, he could have put Sorcerer's Apprentice there. That's the one that everybody loves in Fantasia, you know, and leave people, mm -hmm. you know, just going, oh, my gosh, Mickey is Sorcerer's Apprentice. That was so wonderful. You know, and it has that dramatic climax. He didn't. He put in that night on Bald Mountain to remind people, don't give up hope. Don't give up faith, you know, and, and that belief in God, the, the belief in the light that will overcome and, and push away the darkness, push away Satan, push away that. And, and that's obviously, to me at least, uh, a, a reflection of uh, Walt's Christianity. Because there, there's a lot of different ways of, of staging that material. And uh, it, it's Walt who says, yes, we're going to put in Ave Maria. We're very religious, you know? Definitely. Uh, and, and that's going to be, that and the light is, you know, will defeat the, the darkness. And and again, so you're not seeing these things blatantly, and and uh, you know you and I talked about this uh, uh, a little bit before, Randy. Uh, you know the Mr. Toad's Wild Ride at Disneyland. You know a lot of times we take these things, Disney cartoons or the Disney attractions, at face value, but for Walt, there's always a story, and there's a story underneath things. And so I always loved Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You know, that was fun. Originally, it was designed that it was going to be a uh, a small roller coaster, you know, like Gadget's Go Coaster at, over at uh, Disneyland and all that. And, and Walt didn't want that. He wanted it so that everybody could ride on the attraction, you know. And some little kids might get upset by some of those ups and downs, and grandparents might not like that jerkiness of it. So he always wanted attractions that everybody could ride on and be comfortable on. So it didn't become a roller coaster, but it is still a wild ride, and you go through that. And it's the only Disney ride that ends in hell. And, 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 I've noticed that. And, 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 you know, there's these red, red demons. And, and again, they're, they're funny, cartoonish-looking demons. But you go to hell. This is, this is a ride where you go to hell, and then the doors open, and there you go to, to get off the car. And that always puzzled me, you know, of, because that doesn't happen in the film. In, in the film, you know, um, Ichabod and, uh, and Mr. Toad, it doesn't end that way. You know, Toad is back in Toad Hall, and he's actually got an airplane, and he's going, you know, there, and there's no hell reference whatsoever. So... Uh, again, as I said, the Disney Company, it's, it's oral history. So uh, 
I was interviewing uh, Ken Anderson, and Ken Anderson was a, a terrific Disney animator. He he also created, for instance, uh, the character of Elliot the Dragon for Peach Dragon, among other things. And he, he created uh, the original sketches for um, Shere Khan in Jungle Book. In fact, he, he was designing Shere Khan uh, to look like... Uh, Basil Rathbone, that's what he had in mind, the actor Basil Rathbone who had played Sherlock Holmes. And Walt took a look at the drawing and he says, oh my gosh, I know exactly the actor you're trying to portray there, George Sanders. He's a friend of mine, I'll call it Phil to the voice. Uh, anyway, Ken uh, was, was working in animation and Walt says, you know, we're running behind at Disneyland, go and uh, finish up, you know, Mr. Toad. And so Ken said he got in his car and he, he drove and he says it was not until he was standing there in front of the attraction, he was going, what am I doing here? I have never worked on an amusement park ride in my life. Walt just said, yes, go do this. <laughs> I got in the car and I ended up here. And so he painted the, the mural there. You know, there were a lot of murals in front of those Fantasyland rides. And I said, so what's the deal about going to hell? And he says, oh, well, that was Walt's idea. That was Walt's decision. I said, well, what was he thinking? And he says, well, the point is, if you drive recklessly, if you hurt people, you go to hell. There's consequences to that. If you think too much about yourself, if you're too vain, and, you know, there's all those paintings and portraits of Toad in the Walt Disney World uh, uh, attraction out here. There was actually a Toad statue uh, things like that. If you're vain, you know, that that whole idolatry type thing, you're going to hell. Hmm. That that was it. And and so for decades, people just accepted that ride. Oh, look, here's this train, which I love that effect. You know, the train is coming towards you. The first couple of times I was, I was so freaked out. And even when I realized it's just a light along a track up at the top there, <laughs> uh-huh. and it's going over my head, you know, it still was like, how simple and how amazing. You just accepted the fact that you went to hell because you were bad. You 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 were an, an idolatry. You 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 put images b- before uh, God. You you hurt people. You lied. You stole. There are consequences to that. Hmm. You know, and so you know there there's uh, there's not a big foofer of that, and you don't see any discussion in that in, in interviews. But it made such sense, people just accepted it. Mm-hmm. People just said, oh, yeah, that's a, that's what the end of the story would be. <laughs> it's not like, oh, yes, well, I finally get back to uh, Toad Hall or, or I'm taken off to the, the hospital, whatever. No, I'm going to hell. I, I've broken the commandments. I'm going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I always wondered where that came from, why that was there. See, but again, you probably just accepted it. You you went through and you go, oh, this is a great ride. This is a great ride for kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't until a couple of years ago I went back and I was rewatching The Wind in the Willows. And at the end of Mm -hmm. uh, the the Mr. Toad section, I was like, wait a minute, where's the hell part? Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, Walt believed that there was a hell, that there there were consequences for what you did. You know, it, it, a lot of his uh, uh, short cartoons uh, reference that. One of his earliest black and white cartoons was called uh, uh, Hell's Bells, uh, animated completely by Ub Iwerks, which is what happens when you go to hell. Which And, and again, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of like, I wouldn't want to be there. 
you know, <laughs> the, uh-huh. the devil is eating you, and then you know, it, 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 you splurt out into several different little yous coming out of his teeth and running around. It's like I don't want to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much. Yeah, yeah, not so much with that. So you know, I I I think again we can see that there's a consistency. To Walt, but but Walt again believed that there's hope, there's redemption. You know, you you take a look at Snow White, and you've got that apple, and it's the same apple that Eve gave to Adam. And people have have said, well, no, Jim, that that was in the original Grimm's fairy tale. I said, if you read the original Grimm's fairy tale, the witch actually tries three different things to kill Snow White. You know, there's a there's a comb, there's a girdle. You know, the apple is is the last thing. It was Walt who just narrowed it down just to the apple. And and to make the apple, you know, obviously so deadly, you actually see the skull on the apple, and then it becomes so appealing to tempt with. And so Snow White is dead, and you but you come back from the dead. You, you know, your Savior comes, and the Savior's love is so strong, brings you back from the dead. The same story in, in, in Sleeping Beauty. Yes, well, it will be a death-like sleep. Well, it's still pretty death, you know, to me. Even <laughs> right. if it's a death-like sleep, it's still pretty death. And and look at those horns on Maleficent's head, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, like devil horns type thing. But you can overcome those. You can You can overcome those. You know, love and hope and good is strong enough to bring you back. There's hope out there, but you've got to be... You've got to be open to that. Right. Yeah. In my book, I wrote about the fairy tale device of true love's kiss, mm-hmm. uh, symbolic of the breaking of the curse and restoring of the natural order. Right. And so when people sit and they're like, oh, it's just this stupid little true love's kiss thing and they oversimplify and say, no, you're missing the symbolism of what true love's kiss is supposed to mm-hmm. be. And so that shows up in Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. In fact, one of the main uh, entries of the book that I tend to talk about the most when people ask about it is the Sleeping Beauty story and a couple different parallels that it has outside of the story. And that true love's kiss part and the breaking of the curse is always really, really important to it. Well, see, and I love the twist in uh, Frozen. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody is looking to true love's kiss. Well, I wish there was somebody who loved you enough to kiss you. You know, oh, oh, what is this? And and oh well, I, I I should go over and get his kiss, or I should save save my sister. I'm going to save my sister. Again, you know, greater love hath no person than to sacrifice themselves for somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's enough to save you as well. So, you know, yeah. Uh, and you see a lot of that, especially in the in Walt's films. There's a God that loves you, and things are going to turn out, and there's going to be a happy ending. And if you're not happy, it's just not the ending. Yeah. You, you've got to have faith. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, faith can can overpower just about anything. Right. Exactly. Um, and one more thing about the park and mm-hmm. religion, and then I've got kind of a general Main Street question I wanted to ask because okay. I've just been dying to ask this. You had said that there's no church on Main Street and that Walt's didn't want there to be one because he didn't want to alienate anybody or anything. But wasn't his original plan to have one there? Yes, yes. And and in fact, there was also uh, a church at uh, Knott's Berry Farm, just down the block. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, they, uh, um, I believe it was from Calico, uh, but they, they brought it and they opened up the church at 
uh, Nuts Berry Farm, and it, it's more of a meditation chapel now rather than devoted to a, p- a particular uh, denomination. And, of course, Knott's Berry Farm was one of the places that Walt looked at very closely when he was building Disneyland. His original intent was to have a small turn-of-the-century church at the end of Main Street. You would go down Main Street, and then at the end of Main Street, right on the right-hand side, would be the church, and then behind the church would be a graveyard, because, again, a lot of the graveyards turn-of-the-century would be behind the church, and then there would be a little incline up to an old house overlooking all of that, and that was going to be the haunted house. And there would be these huge uh, windows, and you would gather around and look into the windows to see what was happening inside the house. You wouldn't actually go inside the house. You'd see it from, from the outside there. So it was Walt's intent right up until the end. And uh, believe it or not, one of the reasons that prevented it from, from being there was budgetary. Walt was running out of money. <laughs> and that was one of the last <laughs> things that was going to go up. And then they would decided that they were going to move the haunted house away from Main Street and into uh, the New Orleans area, which was at the edge of uh, uh, Frontierland, basically where uh, Aunt Jemima's Pancake House uh, was at the time. The haunted house was going to go there, and they were going to maybe move the church there. They had the same problem with a uh, a gazebo. It was going to be in Main Street where the flagpole was, and then they moved it over towards the Fantasyland Castle and all that. So a lot of that was last-minute type things because you'll see that when uh, the governor uh, of California introduces uh, Disneyland on uh, Dedication Day, he says, everything that you would find on a typical Main Street, you know, including a church, you know. So the plan was to have it there, and then as time went on, uh, people convinced Walt that having a church would cause difficulties because there's so many religions, you know, again, you're going to be excluding people uh, from that, you know, and especially since you've moved away from Main Street, if you kept it on Main Street, you could probably make it a Protestant church and, you know, people would accept that as, well, that's part of that time period type thing. Mm -hmm. You know, now that you're moving it into a different area, it now becomes uh, questionable. Uh, Diane told me that Walt didn't want a church there because he didn't want to offend anybody. I, I don't completely buy that. I think it was also a case of there's finances. We don't have money to build this area. We're going to shift it to this area. And now that we've shifted it to this area, the story is told. What are we going to do with this? And then things just started to spiral out of control. And now you're thinking about the monorail and the submarines and, and all this. And, and this is, has been pushed back uh, uh, a little further. But, um, yeah, Walt's original intent was, was to have a church. It would have been a small church. It would have been open for people to come in, uh, just like the one at uh, Knott's Berry Farm. And um, I, I think he regretted not in, including it there. There's a lot of things that he had originally planned for, for Disneyland that money just prevented it from being done. And I think he always regretted not being able to, to go back and do that because he, he was in debt right up until a year before he died. And in fact, if he had lived a little longer, he'd get in debt again because he plowed everything back into the films, into the park, into into all of that. You know, people think, oh my gosh, he, he must have died and he was just tremendously uh, wealthy. He wasn't. 
uh, Roy actually had to insist that Walt set aside a um, uh, a, a separate section, uh, uh, Retlaw, which is Walter spelled backwards, and they own the trains, and they own the monorail, they own the uh, the rights to Walt's name, so Walt would lease his name to the Disney company so that they could use Walt Disney. And that was set up so that money would go to his family. So in case something happened, you know, there would still be money for that. Right. But yeah, yeah, his original intent was to have a church on Main Street, but at the last minute that just disappeared. And my personal feeling from from what I know about Walt and, and all of that, I think he regretted not doing that. But but that's where it was going to be, and that's what it was going to be about. Hmm, interesting. Um, and at least at Disneyland, and I don't know if this dates back to uh, Walt's Main Street or not, but there is a religion that's very, very subtly represented there. On the door to the dentist office, which is a Jewish dentist, mm-hmm. and there's a mezuzah on yeah. the door. That came after Walt, but yeah. It did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I believe... And don't hold me accountable for this. I, I believe that was uh, something put there by Kim Irvine. Kim Irvine is a terrific Imagineer. Her mother was uh, Leota Toombs, who is the voice uh, in the uh, in the head inside the Haunted Mansion there. But Kim Irvine has done some wonderful, wonderful touches as uh, an Imagineer. The uh, uh, Jack Sparrow in the uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, things like that, where it supports the original Disneyland, doesn't detract from that, but uh, uh, adds, you know, a, a little extra. Pluses it, you know. They, Walt always said plus, because Walt never graduated uh, high school. He only had one year of high school, amazingly enough, and even then it was just average grades at best. But Walt uh, knew that one plus something meant something more, something extra. So he used plus as a verb. You know, we're going to plus this. We need to plus this up. We're going to do some plussing here. That means you're adding something to something that's already there. You're not taking away from it. You're not distracting from it. And Kim is very good. I think that is one of her touches. I may be wrong about that. But, yeah, that that was actually, uh, well, I won't say fairly recent. It was before uh, 2000. But, uh, yeah, it was after Walt's time. Okay. If I ever get a chance to interview Kim Irvine, I'll ask her about that. Oh, good. Tell her Jim Corcus thinks that what she does is terrific. I definitely will. <laughs> a, a lot of those Imagineers, they're just they're handcuffed sometimes from what they can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tony Baxter, uh, that, that was another guy who, you know, there's the door, Tony. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll make you a legend. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> See, uh, Walt's, Walt's philosophy was, you know, uh, uh, he put people in positions of authority regardless of age or gender or uh, religion or race, whatever. You know, if you could do the job, go, go do the job. You know, John Hench was there for, what, 50 years or more. Yeah. Yeah. Now, unrelated to Walt's religious beliefs, but still on Main Street, sure. I just want to ask this last question before we get to the wrap-up sure. stuff, because I've just been wondering this for a while now. Uh, I know that on Main Street USA and Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, it's not only an era, but a specific day. I've heard you talk about this a okay. couple of yeah. times. Mm-hmm. It's the 4th of July. What I don't know is this. Is that supposed to be true at Disneyland, too? No. No. Uh, it, it was It was a conscious choice at Walt Disney World 
because, uh, again, the Imagineers wanted to make use of what they had learned at Disneyland. So, for instance, um, uh, at Disney World, there's specific references to East Coast turn-of-the-century cities. So, for instance, the uh, uh, train station is based on one at Saratoga Springs, New York, from the turn of the century. John DeCur, who, who designed uh, Main Street USA for uh, Walt Disney World, is the same guy who designed the turn of the century street for uh, Barbara Streisand's movie Hello Dolly. You know, so so you're what is happening is the Imagineers have grown, and so now they're trying to be more specific. And the reason that it's July Fourth is they used to have all the red, white, and blue bunting. They've taken that down. Again, it's easier maintenance not to have that. Uh, the hanging uh, uh, pots used to be just red, white, and blue flowers. And so it's like, why would all these people be on Main Street, you know, at the turn of the century? Shouldn't they be on their farms? What is the reason for them being in town? Well, it's got to be a special day. So it can't be a Sunday because they'd be in that imaginary church that's that's behind the, the main street there. Uh, so it's got to be a holiday. And since it's a holiday, by golly, there might be a parade, but sure as shooting, there's going to be fireworks. So that's where, where the July 4th came in. And, and there were references. A lot of those now have been gutted and changed, you know, just like the um, – Firehouse has been gutted for uh, Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. A lot of things that were important to that story no longer there. Uh, Mm -hmm. In uh, California, at Disneyland, Main Street was specifically to represent between, and Walt said this too, between 1850 and 1910. Now, the reason for that is if you're before 1900, then you primarily have gas lights and you have uh, horses and buggies, whatever. If you are past 1900, that's when you're getting the motorized vehicles and you're getting the electric lighting. If you set it between 1850 and 1910, you're getting both of those eras, which people think of as uh, turn of the century. So you've, mm-hmm. you've also expanded... Uh, the number of options you have in terms of storytelling. And uh, yes, there are some elements from uh, Marceline, Missouri, uh, but there are some elements in, like City Hall that are from Fort Collins, uh, Colorado, uh, which is where Imagineer Harper Goff uh, grew up around the turn of the century. So he added in some of his um, elements. And then some of, some of the elements on California's Main Street came from uh, Ward Kimball's uh, architectural books. One of the things Ward Kimball did as a hobby was he'd get old architecture books, and they borrowed some of those to to get some of those designs as well. And again, you know, a lot of it is you're you're getting John Hench involved in there. So, um, yes, a specific date at uh, Walt Disney World, a a specific era at uh, Disneyland. Okay. I had heard you talk about it for Disney World, and I looked around Disneyland, and I thought, I don't know if it's the story, but I can see how the same date could apply mm-hmm. here. And it could, but I, I hate to say this, is that the Disney company is not always as invested in storytelling these days as it used to be. Uh, Walt's feeling is you do those details, and people will notice it. You know, they may not notice it consciously, but they'll feel it. 
it's just like in uh, storybook uh, land uh, when the guy was building uh, uh, Geppetto's uh, shop for storybook land, and there's some stained glass. And he turned to Walt and he said, look, I, I know we're running over budget and all that. We can just put in regular glass. You know, with watercolor paint, we can do a little something here and it'll be cheaper. He says, nobody's going to see this. And Walt said, I can see it. And Walt's, Walt's feeling was, even if guests didn't consciously notice it, consciously see it, subconsciously, they would get that feeling that, yes, this is real. This is right for all of this. Absolutely. And it works. See, and I warned you, Randy. I, I told you, if you ask me uh, the time, I'll build you a clock. <laughs> but, but, but again, this is all fascinating stuff, right? And and it, it's wonderful that people who are listening to this program are going to be able to to take this and go out and, and when they go, uh, see things in a different way. Right. Yeah. And I'll stop telling people that it's 4th of July on Main Street at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> no, a actually, as we've learned from our discussion, if you go out and tell people that, enough people will believe it <laughs> that it'll actually become July 4th on Main Street at Disneyland. And maybe that's not a bad thing. And maybe that's <laughs> not a bad thing. Okay. Um, let me, I want to ask you just a couple of kind of more general questions. Sure. As, as we get towards the wrap-up here. This could potentially open a whole other can of worms here, but sure. do you never get asked that you wish people would ask you? I know you get asked a ton, but... Uh, I, I wish people would ask me, um, how do you look so handsome and young when, when we know you're really old? Uh, <laughs> 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 um, gosh, I, I'd, I'd love to be asked questions like, um, would you like us to just back up a truck in your driveway and dump out hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, <laughs> would you like to uh, marry me and uh, I will, you know, uh, have doctors fix up your entire body and you can eat chocolate all day long? There are probably <laughs> a lot of questions. In terms of Disney, <laughs> however, <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't think of any particular question uh, I, I would like to, to be asked. I, I'm, I'm sure as soon as we finish, one will immediately occur to me. But but, but, but at this time, people have, have asked me so many different questions about so many different things. Um, I, I think all the biggies have been hit. <laughs> <laughs> How about which corner of the room would you like us to stack these gold bars with hidden Mickey's imprinted on them? <laughs> Don't don't stack them in front of the books. Don't stack them because I, I I may want to get that book. Don't stack them over there. Sure, I got to keep the priorities straight. Okay, um, what inspires you? Oh, gosh. Um, there's so much that inspires me. My parents obviously uh, inspired me. You know, they were simple, down to earth folks. Uh, Dad had barely graduated high school. I was the first Corcus in the world to ever graduate college. Um, but I still consider dad the, the smartest man in, in, in the world. Uh, Walt Disney inspires me that, that this man who was so simple could be so complex and, and still have such an effect on the world. Um, God constantly uh, inspires me. I, when people say, oh, you were so lucky to have this, you were so lucky to do that, and I go, it's not luck. You know, it, it, it's God. God, God blessed me by, by putting me where I needed to be when I needed to be there. You know, He, uh, God blessed me by 
putting me in, in Glendale, California at the time where I could, you know, uh, interact with um, all of these people. I was quite content uh, in, in Los Angeles, and yet it, it was God who yanked me out and brought me to, to Florida where I never, ever wanted to be. I uh, certainly never wanted to live and opened up so many opportunities uh, to me. Uh, it, it was God who opened up the opportunities to uh, uh, write these books and, and meet a whole new uh, group of uh, people by, you know, uh, having me laid off from, from Disney. God works in mysterious ways. And, and he does this so simply and, and without fanfare and without the the thunderbolts and and the lightning and and all of that and and takes care of uh, so many things and he also inspires me to be a better person and to share my blessings with others you know the the, the blessings of knowledge i got from other people i need to share that with other people um just the world itself, you know, I'll, I'll go out my front door in the morning and I'll look up in the sky and out here in Florida, it's just blue. And it's like, this is really pretty. And, and this isn't by happenstance. This isn't by, you know, accident. This, this, this is by a, a, a creative hand. And, and how many people just don't appreciate that? Don't take that into account. I, I'm appreciative that I can see and hear. I'm, a, I'm appreciative that I can put uh, two words together and they make some type of coherent sense. <laughs> you know, it's just wonderful. Thank you. You've had some really pretty amazing experiences from getting to interview all of these people mm -hmm. and then working for Disney and being a Disney historian and writing books and all and of that. And winning the gong show. I won won the gong show. Yeah. Oh, now see, you said you were on it. You didn't mention I won, won the gong wow. show, yeah. My brother won the dating game. I, I actually went on the dating game with my uh, two brothers, Chris, uh, Chris and Mike, and, and Mike uh, uh, won. I, I didn't win because when uh, she asked me to say hello, I said hello in my Mickey Mouse voice. <laughs> and, and later when I saw the tape of the show, you, you could just see the look on her face where mentally she is going, nope, <laughs> no more questions for that bachelor. <laughs> 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 Maybe your goofy voice would have made a difference. Uh, that, see, I should have thought that, but I was young. I was young and foolish. What, are, what did I know? That's right. So you've had all this, including winning the gong show. Yes. Wow. And I know that there's somebody listening to this interview that has said more than once, you know, I wish I could do that, but mm -hmm. I probably can't. Or they've got their own dream of some kind, and they, they're afraid or they've forgotten it. They've pushed to decide whatever. If you could give some advice to that person, what would you say? Absolutely. And I can give no better advice than uh, Walt Disney, who once said, you know, I meet young people today and they feel that the future is closed to them. And he says, would you believe that uh, when I first came to California, I thought there was nothing else I could do? There was nothing left for me to do. Everything that had ever been done had already been done, and especially in animation. I thought animation was dying. There was nothing more that could be done in animation, and that was in 1923 he felt that. And so oh, wow. there's always hope. There's always something more. And, and those of you who would like to be a Disney historian, remember it doesn't pay money. <laughs> it's not an official title of the Disney company. You have to have a passion, and you need to find something that you're passionate about because uh, whatever job you finally decide doing, remember you're going to spend statistically 
more time at your job than you will with your family and friends. So make sure you find something that you really like doing. Or more specifically, go find something that you really like to do and make it a job. And that's what I did. Suddenly, uh, the Disney company said, yes, we appreciate everything you've done, and you've won the Partners in Excellence Award, which is the highest award that we give, less than you know one-fifth of the 60,000 people who work here. Get that award, and you got that. Goodbye. There's the door. I had to go, what do I like doing? I liked writing. I liked telling stories. Uh, I liked Disney. What could I do to make that a job? And, and you can do the same. You know, there's still things that are waiting to be discovered out there, things that I don't even know that need to be di discovered. One of the things you should do if you want to be a Disney historian, read some books. Read some of the stuff that's already out there so you know what's out there, so you can connect things together. Decide what you're really interested in. Are you interested in Disney history as a whole? Are you interested in Walt? Are you interested in the theme parks? Are you just interested in Disneyland? And then read and watch as much as you can about those things. And then start to look, you know, on the Internet, even in your hometowns where you are. Ask around. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of people who have worked at Disney. Odds are one of them might be in your hometown, and you can start to talk to them, and that could start to network. I've, I have people who write to me. Uh, if you have questions, ask. Go to your uh, uh, local newspapers and go through all of the files. See anything there is about Disney. Maybe something happened in your hometown you didn't know about. Walt visited a lot of different places. There were a lot of different Disney events in a lot of different places. You can look at magazines. All of this will start to, to spiral. And set up your own website. Share this information, and you'll find that people will start to, to come to you, you know? And who knows, one of these days I may come to you and say, do you know about these two pictures of Walt and Roy that used to be hanging in the office at, at such and such? So be curious, be persistent, keep working, and yes, your dreams will come true. Great advice. Thank you. And now the reason that we started this interview and that we've been on the phone for all of this time, shameless plug time. Oh, yes, yes. Whatever you'd like to mention or promote. Of course, your books, but maybe also how people can find you online, like Mouse Planet, whatever. Mm -hmm. floor is yours. Go. Okay. Uh, if, if you're interested in contacting me, uh, if you go to mouseplanet.com, they have a, a contact thing where you can contact me. I do a uh, column every Wednesday on uh, all things Disney. I just did a column about uh, uh, Walt smoking. Uh, next week, I'm going to have a, a column on uh, pranks around the, the Disney office. I've done uh, columns on the Disney Cruise Line, so that's good. I also write for allears.net. So I write a monthly column for them, and I also write a twice-monthly uh, blog posting on their guest blog. So you can go take a look at that. You can also hear me uh, on uh, podcasts at uh, wdwradio.com that's uh, Lou Mangiello and uh, he, if you need to contact me through him he'll, he'll put you in touch uh, with me and he archives uh, some of those uh, back ones. As, as we said go out and uh, buy my books they're published by Theme Park Press which is www.themeparkpress.com you can also find them on amazon.com 
There is The Revised Vault of Walt, which is a, a great book. It sells tremendously well, so obviously a lot of people enjoy reading that. There's a second volume, Vault of Walt, Volume 2. There's a book called Who's Afraid of the Song of the South, which covers the entire history of uh, Song of the South, the, the people who were in it, uh, why Walt made some of the choices that he made, including a, a, a dozen more stories about things like the Mickey Mouse comic strip where Mickey Mouse uh, attempted suicide, and that was based on a story idea of Walt Disney. There's also a chapter about Jessica Rabbit. So people always like to say that the Vault of Walt are all-ages books, and uh, Who's Afraid of the Song of the South is more the PG-13. It's, it's for uh, a little older audience. And then uh, the newest book is the uh, Book of Mouse, which is the entire history of uh, Mickey Mouse, uh, broken up into nice little small uh, mouse bites, chapters on merchandise, on films, on TV, on uh, comic strips, on just about everything you'd like to know uh, about uh, Mickey. All, all of the books have been uh, very well uh, reviewed by people who uh, know their stuff, and they've enjoyed it, so we hope that you will enjoy it as well. I'm continually uh, uh, working on new books. I'm just finishing up a new book right now that will be coming out this summer. So after you've seen one of those other ones and you like what you see, uh, check out in May the newest Jim Corcus book coming your way. And uh, I've enjoyed so much uh, talking with uh, Randy. So make sure you continue to tune into this uh, podcast. When I'm not uh, writing books or uh, harassing uh, Disney princesses in the park <laughs> or uh, waiting for uh, gold to be dropped in my driveway, I listen to Randy uh, Crane, and you should as well. So uh, thank you so much, Randy. My pleasure. Thank you, Jim. I know we could have talked longer, but it was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we had the time we did. I'm glad we did uh, as well. I'm looking forward to seeing these uh, posted, and, and I hope the people who are listening send in uh, their comments. I'll, I'll look forward uh, to reading them, and I hope all of you learned a little something. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jim Corcus for being my guest, and to you for listening. Next time we're going to revisit a previous guest, so if you enjoyed hearing Jennifer McGill's stories about the new Mickey Mouse Club, be sure to come back next time. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, blogging, writing or performing music, art, or whatever, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney. And I want to hear from you if you're a guest of any Disney experience and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic or really any special Disney experience you want to share. For any of those, please email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY. Remember, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like In the Shadow of the Matterhorn by past guest David Smith, Walt Disney, The Mouse That Roared by Jeff Lindbergh, or of course my book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. By the way, all three of these were read by Tales from the Mouse House podcast co-host Al Kessel. To download your free audiobook today, 
go to storiesofthemagic.com slash audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen and can rate it. It's been a little while since I had a new rating, especially in iTunes, so if you could take just a minute or two to do that, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too, including links to the Amazon listing for all of Jim Corcus's books. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Just keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic, too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.